this is a special bonus episode of Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and as always, I'm joined by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool, and we also have a special guest, Ron Gross. Hello there. He's back. Every day, 10,000 baby boomers enter retirement. In the coming years, roughly 75 million Americans will retire. If you're one of them, the good news is that you're going to live lucky. You're lucky. <laughs> if you're lucky, the good news is you're going to live longer than previous generations. The bad news is your money will need to last longer too. But wait, we're back to some good news. In today's bonus episode, Ron Gross and Robert Brokamp are going to talk about how to create a portfolio that doesn't stop working for you no matter the economy or how long you've been retired. All that and more on this bonus episode of Motley Fool Answers. At The Motley Fool, we recognize that no two individual investors are the same. Some are young and take risks, like investing in Tesla and eating pizza that's been sitting out all night. Done that. Others are risk-averse, perhaps closer to retirement, and can afford to just buy a brand new pizza in the morning if they really want it. We're not judging, uh, but today we're talking to the people who don't eat cold pizza. You've worked hard your whole life, and now retirement is becoming a reality, and your portfolio needs to grow up a little too, get a steady job, and bring home a paycheck. We have a name for these kind of people, right, Ron? We do. They are wealth defenders. That's pretty catchy. I like that name. (laughs) What is a wealth defender? So, so as you teed it up so so brilliantly, a wealth defender is really any investor whose primary goal with their portfolio is to protect what they've already earned. Now, most commonly, that will be someone in or near retirement, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. It could be just a conservative person who the stock market is a bit scary to them. They don't want to invest in the high-flying growth stocks and, and just wish everything was just a little bit more conservative. So that a wealth defender type portfolio could work for them as well. Wealth defenders also should, in our opinion, have a secondary goal. You have to have some growth here because you at least have to keep pace with inflation. Otherwise, even though your account may look like it's staying steady, it's actually depreciating. The amount it can purchase, the purchasing power of that portfolio will be in decline because of inflation. Is that the biggest thing you're defending your wealth against, bro? Or what other factors are coming to Yeah, a big part of it is the volatility. I mean, we've certainly seen over the last 15, 16 years, we've seen two significant bear markets. And there are people who are at a stage in their life where they're just, I don't want to go through that again. The stress. The stress of it. Or they're in a situation where if the market did go down that much, they'd either have to delay their retirement or come out of retirement. And so it's reasonable that they want a more level portfolio. But you can't play it too safe because, as Ron said, you also have to have your portfolio last as long as you do, as well as keep up with inflation. So volatility is part of it. And when we say volatility, we mean typically the daily or the weekly or the monthly, whatever what time frame you're looking at, movement in stock prices, which for long-term investors we often teach you can largely ignore because we're investing in companies here, not stocks. And over the long term, you should do just fine. Um, for those who either are not comfortable with that concept or who have a time frame that is not perhaps 20 years and can't ride out the ups and downs of a typical cycle of the stock market, that. That's when you probably would want to shy away from or avoid volatility. Right. Yeah. We we often hear the Motley Fool when a stock takes a hit that we like, we'll be like, oh, it's on sale. And we when we get all excited. But for someone who's about to enter retirement or in retirement, like you don't want to see a sale. Right. Because you, <laughs> you may not be able to write out that. 5, 10, 20 years until for the, that stock to recover. And you may not still be contributing to your portfolio, so you can't take advantages of dips in the market, which is really the primary you know, nice thing that dips give you, is the ability to buy into great companies at cheaper prices. 
if you're not adding to your portfolio, then that you know is kind of taken off of the table, unfortunately. All right. So we we really like stocks here um, at the Motley <laughs> Fool. It's no secret. Um, but it's true that you really do need them in your portfolio in retirement. You can't just go all bonds, right, bro? Right. Exactly. And as a financial planner, for me, when I think about risk, we talk about volatility and stuff like that. But for me, the number one risk is I'm not able to accomplish my financial goals. And when you look at what helps people retire as well as their portfolio to last while they're retired, they do. Have have to have stocks. And we do believe that stocks over the long term do beat other types of investments. And when I'm talking long term, you really are talking 10 to 20 years. Um, And even if you're retired, you might think, well, I don't have that much time. But we're living longer. The typical 65-year-old these days lives about five to seven years longer than the 65-year-olds of the 1940s, for example, like back when Social Security was starting. about one in four 65-year-olds will make it to 90. About one in 10 to 95. If you're married, you'll live longer. So you do have to have your portfolio grow and stay growing that long. You have to keep up with your purchasing power because if you retire today, whatever you're spending your money on, it's going to be more expensive 10, 20 years from now. But even when you look at academic studies that that analyze what's the ideal portfolio for a retiree, it varies on which study you look at. But most of them have it at least about 50%. Stocks. In fact, those studies indicate that a portfolio that is 100% bonds has lower chance of surviving than a portfolio that is 100% stocks. So you don't want 100% stocks because history has shown that sometimes that is not a good thing. If you retire, for example, right on the eve of a bear market, but still, you're probably going to have higher odds of your portfolio lasting if it's all in stocks rather than all in bonds. All right. So what kind of stocks are we talking about? Because I've ruled out Tesla. Well, we could maybe take a little bit of a nibble of Tesla in a Wealth Defender portfolio, (laughs) but for the most part, we're moving away from what we'll call the high flyer flying growth stocks and moving into more conservative stocks. And and when I think of those, they're usually made up of three categories. One is dividend-paying companies, relatively mature companies that are able to pay out a consistent dividend, hopefully increasing that dividend over time. The second are value stocks, because stocks that are selling at a discount to what we think they actually are worth. And what you get in that, the difference between what the stock is selling at and what you think it's worth is a margin of safety. Big fancy Graham and Dodd term um, back from the days of the Intelligent Investor and Security Analysis. Two great books for value investors, by the way. From the 1930s and 40s, I think. <laughs> um, but when you have a margin of safety, what, you, what you're doing is protecting yourself from either being wrong in your analysis or from a market dip, because you're buying something with that margin cheaper than what it's actually worth. So that there's a protection there, where if you're wrong on something like Tesla, for example, that could be quite painful, because that stock is selling at very lofty valuation. I don't mean to pick on Tesla, but you brought it Sorry. up. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> And you could get you could get smacked around, and and for someone who wants a conservative portfolio, that wouldn't be the best thing. And then the third category that I like um, for wealth defenders are blue chip companies, and these are those mature, you know, market defending companies that have purchasing power, large market share. You know, they're typically household names. They're they're not growing like they once did, but they're really rock solid. And even if we get a downturn, yes, those will get hit, but they'll get hit less, and they should come back. Sooner. 
Uh, do you maybe want to share a couple stocks that you really like for our wealth <laughs> defenders I, out there? I would be happy to, okay. I, but I do with the, want to say, with the one caveat that we're not talking about buying a couple of stocks here. We're talking about building a portfolio with a certain strategy in mind, and that's mm-hmm. not really just about two or three stocks. It's 15, 20, 25 stocks, most likely. But, for example, um, a great dividend-paying stock from our income investor newsletter would be Verizon Communications, obviously a well-known telecommunications company, 4.6% dividend yield, very steady rise solid company, uh, a blue chip, Berkshire Hathaway, one of our favorites, obviously, hit it up by Warren Buffett, um, you know, market leader in so many different categories. And then you have value stocks, and you can have value stocks that have some growth still built in there. They don't have to be old, boring companies. You know, <laughs> Starbucks would be a great value stock from our Inside Value newsletter, um, which pays a small dividend, but we think it's going to get you 10% plus annualized returns. Right now, it's uh, trading at a 20% margin of safety. So it doesn't have to be too boring. You can still be expanding like Starbucks is going to overseas, especially into China, and it can still be part of a wealth defender's portfolio. All right, we talked enough about stocks now. I decree. <laughs> uh, what about bonds, cash, real estate? Right. What, so, what is that? A, a Where big, does that belong? A big part of the wealth defending portfolio is that you don't have all your money in stocks. So, even though stocks do pretty well historically over the long term, the short term, it's trickier. If you look at like a one-year time period, stocks beat bonds about 60% of the time. You extend it to maybe five and 10 years, stocks beat bonds about 70% of the time. But that still means there are times when the market goes down, and it can go down significantly, and it can take several years for it to recover. So we do think that cash and bonds have a place in a wealth-defending portfolio, even though we know interest rates Stink. Um, <laughs> we, we, we are aware. We are aware. Of is that the technical term? That is true. Yes, that is also a Graham and Dodd term. Yeah, uh, they stink, and there, of course, is the risk of interest rates going up. And if interest rates go up, the value of current bonds can go down at least temporarily. So we are totally aware of all that. But still, if you're looking for a place to put some of your money, because you shouldn't have it all in the stock market, cash and bonds are still a good place to be, and you won't get the best return in the world. It's almost really a way of thinking about insurance. And the reason you would do it is, of course, the classic emergency fund. You'd have some money out of the side in case there's you lose your job, or your house needs a big repair. Um, I'm, I'm, we may have mentioned in a previous episode the Federal Reserve study that found out that 42% of Americans don't have enough cash on the side to cover a $400 repair. Wow. Yeah. And almost scary. half of those people earn over $100,000 a year, so wow. it's not wow. like they're at the poverty level. So, even though this is the most boring financial planning advice in the world, a lot of people still haven't gotten that message. And what, what's interesting about cash in a portfolio is, obviously, the bigger percentage of cash you have, the more that will be a drag on your portfolio during a bull, mar- bull market. But on conversely, on the other hand, in a down market, that will insulate you and protect you because that, that cash... Hopefully, unless the world has fallen apart, will not lose will not lose any purchasing power or or value, and that part of your portfolio will be rock steady. So you'll you'll miss some upside in good times, but you'll be protected and down. Right. And when you look at then the other reason to have some money out of the stock market would be the money you need to spend in the next three to five years. Yeah. Whether that's going to college, whether because you're tired you need to cover living expenses, you're going to buy a house, something like that. And CDs are good for that. Short term bonds, a low cost short term bond fund is good for that. Um, when you look at like a year like 2008, when the stock market went down almost 40%, if you had a portfolio that was like 60% stocks, 40% bonds, it only went down about 25%. So you have, you're protecting some of that money you need in the short term and adding a little layer of diversification to your portfolio so it's not quite so volatile. 
And when we're talking real estate, are we talking the roof over my head, REITs, <laughs> together? Do we a, consider them together? A little bit of both, actually. Um, yeah, so let's start with the roof over your head. And it's kind of an interesting asset because there's no asset that touches so many aspects of your life like your house does because it affects your expenses, your mortgage, and your taxes. Um, it determines how much insurance you have to buy. It determines um, where you go to school. So it's it's probably what your home buying decision is probably the biggest determinant of what your financial life is going to look like. Now, does that mean it's an investment? Well, most people would say no, because unlike a stock and a bond, you can't just go out. You know, you can't pull up your discount broker and sell you know ten percent of your house to rebalance your <laughs> I portfolio. I believe that was a seven dollar commission. <laughs> Am I right? Right. But that said, it is an asset that can do a couple of things for you. First of all, it, your home equity is a source of emergency funds if you need it. So it, whether that's in the form of a home equity loan or a reverse mortgage if you're age 62 or older, maybe you have medical expenses, long-term care expenses. There's actually this emerging thought in the world of financial planning that rather than having a whole bunch of cash sitting on the side when you're retired, instead just have a little bit of cash, and then if the market goes down, you tap your home equity, and then when the market recovers, hmm. you pay that loan back. That's interesting. My, my accountant actually said I should always have a home equity line of credit open. Don't necessarily draw on it, but have it open so if an emergency hits, you don't have to then first pick up the phone and start dealing with all the paperwork that it takes to, to put a, a line of credit in place. Um, agree? Yes, that, no, yeah. absolutely agree. And that's really the whole point of, of these new studies that have come out and shown that then when you analyze how it affects your portfolio, your portfolio actually performs better because you don't have to have so much cash on the side as long as you're willing to rely on some home equity every once in a while. And then the other thing that it can do for you is it is a source, it is an asset that you can turn into an investment when you retire. It could be because you've downsized, right? You don't you no longer leave the four bedroom house, sell it by two bedroom house, you realize hundred, two hundred thousand dollars in cash, maybe you can invest that. There is the reverse mortgage, which is a whole funky kind of thing that you can do after age 62, in which you borrow money from the bank. It can be a lump sum, could be a line of credit, or it could be a monthly income. You don't have to pay it back until you leave the house or pass away. And if for some reason that loan has exceeded the value of the house, you don't have to pay any more back. You only owe the value of the house if you let it grow that way. I don't think it's something that you should rely on as your first line of defense for retirement income. But it is a great backup source of income if your portfolio goes down or if you have these huge expenses in retirement like medical care or long-term care. And for those wealth defenders that actually do want to be an investor in real estate, the the best way for most of us, unless you actually can be an actual real estate investor and start buying up properties, the best way is, Allison, what you mentioned, REITs, real estate investment trusts, which are really simply publicly traded vehicles or, or trusts where there's a professional management team that buys up real estate, whether it's retail, commercial, healthcare, um, there's many different categories, and manages those properties for you on behalf of the shareholder. And what's really interesting about REITs is um, by law, they have to pay out 90% of their net income in dividends. So that typically leads to relatively high dividends for REITs. So the wealth defender not only can invest in real estate, but they can get that dividend, which for so many people, that income stream is so important. And you're really, you're sometimes looking at four, five, seven, eight, nine percent dividend yields on some of these REITs. So you're participating in real estate, you're getting a nice income stream. Um, you just got to be careful to get into the right ones, just as with any stock. Right. right. So, the reason why we're bringing our listeners this bonus episode is because you two 
are joining forces for a special Motley Fool offer that's appropriately called Wealth Defender. It's true. You are absolutely right. It is all true. So if you, our dear listeners, are uh, hearing this and you want to learn more and you think that, yeah, you know what? I might be a wealth defender. You know, be proud. Yes. You've amassed all this money. Like, be proud. It's time to defend it. Nothing wrong with protection. No. Uh, So if you want to learn more, head to defend.fool.com. That's defend.fool.com. When you go there, you can put in your email address, and we'll give you three free reports on how to build a wealth-defending portfolio. And you'll also get information on how to sign up for Wealth Defender, (laughs) which is a bundle of Rule Your Retirement, brought to you by Robert Brokamp. Income Investor, which focuses on dividend-paying stocks, yep. and also REITs. There are some yes. REITs in there, REITs yeah. In there. Uh, and then Inside Value, which is, I imagine, something near and dear to your heart, It Ron. absolutely is. Uh, value stocks, 100% of the time, all the time. All right, so for a week, we're giving you Wealth Defender uh, for a special bundle price, so you can learn more by going to defend.fool.com. Ron, thank you for joining us today. Always my pleasure. It's a lot of fun. I also want to thank Dan and Austin, who are in the booth today, um, filling in for Rick. We appreciate it. Uh, let's have a disclaimer, huh? Since we talked about stocks. <laughs> let's do that. Let's do that. Let's, let's end with fun. The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks we talked about on the show. Don't buy and sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Uh, of course, our email is answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp and Ron Gross, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Uh-huh.